Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. On November 16, 2005, this happened. Oh, great save, save again by it's a huge save. Wonderful save. It's as big as we've ever seen in Australia. Here's Aloisi for a place in the you World Cup. He's yeah. scored! Australia have got it! Come on! And, of course, today being June the 14th, 2022, this transpired. It's all on this for Peru. Alex Valera. And Redmayne makes the save. It's a save that means the world to Australia. It's a save that means the World Cup for Australia. Joy unbridled for Graham Arnold and Rene Mullenstein for his players. They are going to the World Cup. The most significant story of the day, and it is just an amazing story. Graham Arnold was ridiculed, written off, slammed for his tactics and selections, and nearly sacked three months ago. And now the soccer is coaches laughing last, having led to his Australian side through do-or-die playoffs to stun hot favourites Peru and secure a place in the fifth straight World Cup. Only those in Arnold's inner sanctum would know how close he came to quitting the Socceroos at various stages of the 1,008-day World Cup qualifying campaign. The endless time away from home often left to his own thoughts in lonely hotel rooms, COVID battles, both personal and with staff and players, the loss of key players and the constant harping from critics wearied him. There are times he wondered if at all it was worth it. And this was Graham Arnold on what was his special day. He didn't know about it till, till his number went up, but uh, fantastic. He, uh, he understands that why, we're, why we're doing this together and why, why you know, we're a family, the soccer family. We're all a team. Everyone has a job and a role to play. And, yeah, of course, I think he was a little bit surprised, but uh, he took it very, very well as a captain should. I'll be honest with you, I didn't watch one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went and sat on the bench and everyone was in front of me. I didn't watch one. It's just, you know, it's crazy, but, you know, I can say it like this, what a sliding doors moment it is, you know, that, you know, you're one penalty away from, you know, tomorrow being unemployed. And uh, <clears throat> one penalty away from... Now going to a World Cup and having a job for another six months. So, you know, that's how crazy coaching is and, and, you know, football and sport. It was a bizarre twist. Andrew Redmayne, of course, coming in for Captain Matt Ryan in goals. And, of course, we know what transpired with that penalty. But Graham Arnold never doubted his judgment. You know, it's in my brain and I plan it and uh, I stick by those plans because it was a gut feeling to bring Andrew on and... uh, and the reason brought Craig Goodwin on because we know he's a good penalty taker as well. And, you know, it was only it was a perfect time. And what about the man that they're all talking about? The grey wiggle because of his antics on the goal line in the Socceroos goal. Andrew Redmayne has all of a sudden become a global sensation 
on social media. Here he is post-game uh, following the victory by the Socceroos 5-4 on penalties with Graham Arnold. I'm no hero. I just played my role uh, like everyone else did tonight. Like I said, the boys, not even the boys on the, the 11 on the pitch, it was, it was much more than that, so it's a team effort. I'm just uh, so proud of the players, you know, really no one knows what these boys have been through to get to here. Uh, it was so hard, you know, the whole campaign and the way they've stuck at it, the way they've committed themselves to it, incredible. I called out Anthony Albanese the other day to uh, give, the, give everyone, the fans, a day off to celebrate this because I believe this is one of the greatest achievements ever to qualify for this World Cup the way we've had to go through things. You know, 20, 20 World Cup qualifiers and we've, had, we've played 16 away from home. It's been tough, but we did it. And they certainly did do it. And what's the beauty of this game? is the fact that there's so many different stories that come from it. You know, players from different parts of the world that uh, come to Australia. And I saw something today regarding a young fella who went up and took one of those penalties, Awa Mobile. You would have seen him. I think he took the sixth penalty or the fifth penalty for the Socceroos. And this is what he said on social media. I knew I was going to score the penalty. It was the only way to say thank you to Australia from me and my family. My family fled Sudan because of war. I was born in a hut. For Australia to take us in and resettle us, it gave me and my family a chance of life. And that's from Awa Mobile, who uh, hit a penalty with conviction last night and helped Australia on their path. And it's a great shot of him actually kissing the turf and also being thankful. And then on the other hand, you have the Peruvians. And there were 15,000 that travelled from the South American nation to the Middle East. They sold everything. They sold their cars. They sold their belongings so they could afford an airfare. And what about the player that missed the penalty? And a distraught Luis Advincula has apologised for the pain he caused all of Peru, immediately quitting the national team after he missed a crucial shot during the penalty shootout against Australia. In an Instagram post that he has since deleted, but reportedly by multiple Peruvian athletes, Advincula said he would no longer be available for national selection. First, I apologise to my family and friends for the pain I caused to all of Peru, he wrote. I am the only one responsible for this debacle and my life will not be enough to apologise. The 32-year-old has played more than 100 matches for Peru since his debut in 2010. So that gives you just an example of the different cultures that emanate from this global game. And we're going to focus on that tonight. We're going to speak shortly to Stan Lazaridis, who was part of the Australian Socceroos team in 2006, where they performed so credibly. Of course, it's 1974. They hadn't been at a World Cup, and that drought was broken when they went to Germany in 2006. Got out of the group stage, and as we know, they took on Italy in the last 16 game, and uh, that was that penalty decider that pushed us. Australia out of the World Cup, Lucas Neal will be remembered 
for that, a controversial penalty that the Italians put away and at the same time put away the Australians on that occasion. And, of course, later we'll speak to, and I'm keeping to West Australians, probably Stan Lazaridis with 60 appearances for the Socceroos is our best product when it comes to the world game. Played in the Premier League and played for Australia with distinction in that golden era. But we'll also speak to a man that represented Australia 30 times, another West Australian. His name is Robert Zabika, a goalkeeper, a tall, agile goalkeeper. And I'm going to talk to him about the dynamics of being a goalkeeper. Why the change? Has he ever been involved in a game where one goalkeeper, whether it was he, was substituted or whether he came on to take over from the number one man? And what about the antics of Andrew Redmayne on the goal line, the so-called grey wiggle, the fact that he wouldn't stay still trying to put off the penalty takers for Peru? So we'll speak to him as well, Rob Zabika and also uh, Stan Lazaridis coming up. We won't uh, certainly be devoid of covering the other sport. There's some interesting news regarding Rafael Nadal in relation to Wimbledon and, of course, the Test match, which gets underway around about in about an hour's time, about 6 o'clock our time, and whether New Zealand and England, it's an interesting situation. The Kiris in front, a lead of 238. They've got three second innings wickets uh, remaining heading into a delicately poised final day of the second test in Nottingham. So that's all coming your way here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. It's all thanks to our friends at Toolmart, the complete tool centre, where you get the right tool from the start. Just some other news that uh, has uh, filtered through. As I mentioned, it was a, a monumental day for Australia as far as the national sport is concerned in football, but also... When it comes to Australian rules football, it appears, uh, we know with Bailey Smith, uh, the AFL have uh, certainly reportedly had their findings when it came to their review. Have those findings been released as yet regarding Bailey Smith? Not as yet. We wait to see what sort of suspension or what sort of penalty he will be handed by the AFL uh, judiciary. Uh, The other thing is Damien Hardwick. He's talking about Dustin Martin, who at this stage is uh, struggling a bit as well. Here he is. Yeah, he's got a bit of lurgy at the moment. So uh, straight after this, I'll be around to his place to rub some Vicks <laughs> on his chest and make sure he gets up. But, um, yeah, he didn't train, didn't train today. He's not, not particularly well at the moment. There's a bit of flu going around. So, look, he's got a couple of days to, to get better. And, um, you know, hopefully with some medication he gets up and about. But, uh, look, he's probably... Probably doubtful, I'd say, at this stage. So we'll, uh, we'll wait and see how he goes. He's a pretty fair beast. Yeah, it's a big game coming up on Thursday. We've got Carlton taking on Richmond. And certainly uh, a lot of talk regarding David Noble, the coach of the North Melbourne Football Club, and what his future is likely to be. Caught a bit of footy classified last night. Of course, Caroline Wilson is a regular member of the footy classified team. And she was asked a question regarding David Noble's future. And she didn't mince her words, let me tell you. I think he's in real trouble. I mean, it's just so hard to come back from this. And it's not just losses, but it's big losses. It hasn't... It's not like you're seeing fighting performances. And this is, I keep saying, an under-resourced football club, an understaffed football club. Yeah. I feel like there are a few people in footy who aren't in the right roles. And I just think that in Do the end... Do you think it's time? I don't, I'm not saying they should sack him this week. but Would you give I, him another eight weeks, ten, nine weeks? Or I very you, much doubt. He, he won't be there next year. Have you seen enough? I don't believe. I don't, I, I, I don't believe that David Noble was the right choice. No, I Do don't. Do you think he'll see out the year? I don't know. But I don't think he'll be there. And this is- 
Hey, Caroline Wilson is coming out. I suppose you don't need to be a Rhodes Scholar to work out uh, that he's not going to be there next year. But in the end, who wants to take over the North Melbourne Football Club as coach? Uh, Jason Horn Francis, as we know, he's been rubbed out for two weeks. And, of course, there's real speculation now that uh, he looks like keen to maybe move away from Arden Street and look at another uh, option. Uh, in only his first year of AFL footy, his second year, he could be at a second AFL club. So there's real issues regarding North Melbourne. I suppose in any other business, if North Melbourne were a business, they'd probably wind them up. That's how bad they're going in all forms, on-field, off-field, the sentiment within the ranks and you'd think basically they would wind them up. The AFL's not going to do that, but they are going terribly poorly, as we know. All right, you can join us anytime on the Tempera Bedshed text line 0487 736 736. Bedshed, experts in temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases. You can check the range of temper products in store or visit bedshed.com.au or give us a buzz on the Scarborough Toyota open line 13 12 55. Uh, ben Dalgleish and the team, they buy all makes and models and they service all makes and models as well. They're situated there in Scarborough Beach Road in Osborne Park. Go and see the friendly team there at Scarborough Toyota. Coming up next, back-to-back, we look at the events of this morning. What a match that was. Stan Lazaridis, the former Socceroo, joins us next here on Drive. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA-owned and operated for over 40 years. Yes, welcome back to Drive with Peter Vlahos. And, of course, the, the big news story today is the fact really against the odds and against everybody's expectation, well, most people's expectations, the Socceroos have got to their fifth consecutive World Cup, their sixth in uh, this proud country's history. Of course, it was 1974, then up to 2006. And we thought there were doubters suggesting we wouldn't make it to 2022. But in the early hours of this morning... It was uh, formalised that Australia together will be in the group with France, Denmark and Tunisia at the World Cup in the Middle East in Qatar. And joining us is a man that knows a lot about the journeys because he's been on journeys with the Australian Socceroos, even dating back to 2006, where the current manager, Graham Arnold, was then the assistant coach and assistant manager to Hus Hiddink. And we're talking about Stan Lazaridis. And Stan joins us on the program now. Stan, thanks for your time. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, mate. You must be proud for Arnie because uh, he's copped a bit yeah. in the last few weeks and in the end, his judgment was right and now he's taking a team to the World Cup. Oh, absolutely. I'd say relief um, for everyone, really, because I think we're all being honest. It was We're all doubting it, I think, you know, especially the two matches. Our form hasn't been great coming into these games, but uh, the way the guys played against UAE was very... Um, it was very good, actually, and it, you know, I was I was looking at the team thinking they're ready to play against Peru, and uh, they put in a really good performance, uh, Peter, and they deserve to win really mm-hmm. over the balance of the whole game. Um, and I would, of course, it went the penalties, but um, overall, I thought they were the better side. It's interesting. Uh, we got another South American nation like Peru who finished fifth uh, yeah. in uh, their group, and therefore they had to go through the playoff against the uh, Australians. And then, of course, when you were playing, again, you took on the fifth-place Uruguayans and we got through over two legs. Is there something about Australian football that works against maybe South American opposition? 
Uh, look, look, they're, they're, they're a tough opponent. I mean, um, I think what went well for us this time was the neutral ground. Um, when you go to South America and you go to play in Uruguay, it's, it's intimidating. You know, the way you get greeted, you don't get greeted. It's Everything's awful. Um, and, you know, it's scary. Um, we didn't have that this time because it's a one-off match. And I guess that worked well. I, I think the conditions probably suited us more. Um, but I, I, I believe we were more prepared than Peru was. I, I, I do believe the way Arnie got his team ready, um, they played really well, Peter. And um, you, you factor those things um, in, you know, when you look back now, I think Arnie did everything right. And the boys played really well. They fought hard. They, they were strong in defence, dragged the game out, frustrated Peru. And in the end, like I said before, we were the better side. Yeah. Tell, tell us about Graham Arnold. He's been involved in Australian football for a long time as a player, yeah. as we know, as a coach at the A-League side, Sydney FC, and with the national team. He's had a long journey, hasn't yeah. he? Oh, yeah. Look, I remember when I, when I first made my debut, um, Arnie was Robbie Slater, Graham Arnold, Frank Graham. These were the guys that were the leaders. They were the, the more senior players in the team. So I was playing with Arnie. Then he ended up being my coach, and then he was the assistant to Gus Hitting, as you, as, as you pointed out before. And Arnie's really patriotic. He loves Australia, loves the game, the football game. Um, he's an emotional guy. He's a big softy, Arnie. You know, we put on this facade on the outside, and he'll have a laugh and joke. But underneath it all, he really cares. He cares about his players. Um, He's, a, you know, particularly one-on-one with Arnie, if you ever get the chance to have a, an honest, open chat with him, he really is a nice man. And um, he's had so much pressure that I wouldn't want to be in his, in, 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 his, in his shoes, really. I mean, the relief on his face when the guys... I think he was shocked. He goes, oh, did we win? Did we go through? It took about 30 seconds. And, <laughs> and you know, I mean, I, I, I was looking, I said, Arnie, oh, my God, you know, it's... Uh, I really, really am happy for him. The players, they, you know, was, they had everything against him, Pete. I mean, uh, uh, I, I know the feeling um, the re- and just the excitement on the guys afterwards. Um, it's great for the support, great for the game. You've you got to remember, remember this. And it's so important for our game that we qualify for the World Cup. Uh, I, I tell you what... I tell you what's fantastic is you look at the images of all the players and they're uh, locked together and they, they're they all looking at the goalkeeper or the penalty taken. Of course, you had it with John Aloisi and that'll go in Australian sporting folklore and, of course, Andrew Redmayne's save will go into sporting folklore. What's that moment like when you know you've won it? In your case, it ended a, a hideous drought for Australian football. Yeah, well, for the first instance, it's... it's a bit surreal, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm repeating what everyone's saying, but um, it doesn't sink in until probably hours later, even like the next day. You, you, and then all of a sudden it goes, oh, hang on, we're going to the World Cup, we're going to be playing France, we're going to be playing Brazil, we're going to be playing, you know, the nations on board now. And um, look, it's been a very different last couple of years on so many factors. Um, for our campaign, 16 away matches, uh, were, we went through a horrible spell after the loss against Japan, and you know there was, you know, we weren't playing well. Um, I mean, about a, a, a really fit side, a first eleven that he could rely on, and um, and he just got it together right at the end, he, and he's done really, really well. But um, you know, that would be that would be so ecstatic right now, and I hope Arnie's having a glass of wine or something and just relaxing <laughs> and 
and he's got to get himself ready now. I mean, it's just, you know, World Cup's around the corner, Pete, so um, he's got to get himself ready now. Yeah, it's not far away, of course, in November, and it's certainly a different time of the year compared to other World Cups, which are often played in the middle of the year. What about the move regarding the goalkeepers? Uh, your thoughts yeah. on that, Stan? Interesting. Now, oh, I don't know if you guys would know this, but with, with our campaign, um, Zelko Talis was due to come on to replace Mark Schwartz right in the last minute again, but... It was a last-minute injury to Brett Emerton, and in the end, it worked our way because Mark Schwartz was brilliant and saved some really good uh, penalty stops. Um, look, I think there's a history there with Arnie and, and Andrew Redmayne, so he knows how good he is. An excellent penalty saver, I must say. And how he gets away with jumping around like, like whatever you want to call him, the great wiggle or whatever it is, and he jumps. I don't even know how he gets away with that because it is off-putting. So I can see how that really works. And and you can't deny the save, Pete. I mean, that was an excellent save. Forget about the theatrics. He got down low, good hand, strong hand, and, uh, and got us through. It seemed certainly in the second period of extra time that Peru were only, uh, you know, centimetres away from getting the lead towards the end of the second period yeah. of extra time. But overall, would it be fair to say that the Socceroos were the better side? I'm not being biased, but I, I, I've said it before, when we haven't played well, we are lucky to win. But I do believe we were the better sider. You know, I think the stats will probably show, show that. I, I also like the desperation. I, I think we wanted it more. I, I think probably weren't expecting this sort of matchup. I think they were expecting it to be a lot easier. Um, I think Jackson Irvine was tremendous. Some last-minute lunging tackles and blocks. And you could see in the faces that it was almost like Arnie had grabbed his group together and said, right, it's just us now. You know, we've got to do it for each other. And you could see there was this bond that I hadn't seen in previous matches, I'll be honest. But I didn't see that in the, in the games after Japan. There was almost a bit of a lull and a, a little bit of a disconnection. And, um, but I think Arnie got it together. The way they played against the UAE, um, I think Rustic was great. I think... Um, Boy, it was great. You know, I mean, there were so many really good, honest performances from our side. And whilst individually we're probably, you know, not going to have the biggest names in the world, but collectively as a team, geez, we fought really hard and we, we just wanted it more. Can you remember when you did qualify? It was in the middle of November. And, of course, the World Cup yep. uh, in Germany was in the middle of the following year what the build-up yeah. was like during that period, because it's going to be about five months before the Socceroos yeah. are on the world stage there in Qatar. I would say frantic would be the word. Frantic and, and exciting. It was a, a, like a, a euphoria about it where you were so excited. You were like, um, obviously, we didn't know what to expect. We hadn't been there before mm. uh, for so many years. So, um, yeah, there was this air excitement. But, from the whole nation, you know, the whole nation. You know, um, Germany was probably a cracking country to have it, have the World Cup, being honest, in the middle of Europe there, brilliant. Um, so it was this excitement, this, you know, that a lot of sponsorships came in. Um, the game opened up to all the other codes. It, it kind of united the country, Peter, from being, I wasn't this AFL versus uh, football against cricket. It wasn't, it was like a nation binding together. Um, and I think the same will happen. And, uh, you know, whilst um, I would compare this um, campaign to that, to the 2005-06 campaign, 
um, equally for, uh, for the guys. And, you know, in some, in some ways, it probably was harder. Mm. Stan, thanks for joining us. One final question. I, go, I gather they've climbed the mountain. They're at the World Cup in yeah. Qatar. Is any other result now going forward in the group stage against France, Tunisia, and also Denmark a bonus? Uh, because, again, there'll be those doubters suggesting Australia might struggle yeah. to get out of the group stage. Well, well, I might as well say that because I think that would be what Arnie wants to hear anyway. Um, look, I've been watching the games of late. France aren't playing that well. You never know. So you get France first game, get a draw. Um, you just don't know how it pans out. You've got Tunisia, I think, in the second match. Yes. Denmark in the last. There's every chance. You get four points, you know. It will get you through. Um, I, I think it's not a bad group from what we've had in the previous campaigns, I'll be honest. Um, I look at that, and I can see us getting four points. So... You know, I'm optimistic more than uh, pessimistic. Yeah, good on you, Stan. We like that. And of course, as you mentioned, France is struggling at the moment. They're bottom in their group in the UEFA uh, Nations League. Uh, they are struggling, so they struggle for a few more months. Thanks for joining us, mate, and sharing yeah. your memories and your thoughts on it all. It was a, a great day this morning for Australian football. Thanks for your time, yeah. Stan. Indeed. Thank you. Bye. Great man, and uh, he was a great footballer. Uh, our greatest export, certainly, we came when it comes to the world game from Western Australia, Stan Lazaridis. Played for the Socceroos 60 times, of course, played in the Premier League and was there in 2006, when after that long drought since 1974, Australia were at the World Cup in Germany. And what a tournament that was, with Australia, of course, getting out of the group stage and then falling foul on that day in that knockout last 16 match against the Italians with that penalty against Lucas Neal. On the other side of the break, we're going to speak to a goalkeeper who played in goals for Australia for 30 on 30 occasions, tall, lanky. And I want to talk to him about the dynamics of goalkeeping. How do you read a penalty taker? The unconventional approach of Andrew Redmayne dancing and wiggling on the goal line. We'll speak to Robert Zabika next here on Drive with Peter Vlahos. It's all thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. Welcome back to Drive with Peter Vlahos. All thanks to Toolmart, the complete tool centre. Wherever you may be listening on SENWA, on the app, of course, in the goldfields, SEN 1611 through Bunbury in the southwest, on SEN Spirit 621, digital radio at SEN Peel, or, of course, in Perth on SEN 657. Well, we continue our talk about the big event in the early hours of this morning, Perth time. Against all odds, backs to the wall, the Socceroos are getting through to their fifth consecutive World Cup final, which will be staged in Qatar in November. And I thought we'd look at the art of goalkeeping. And a man that represented Australia some 28 times, an outstanding goalkeeper in his time in the old National Soccer League and as well with the Socceroos is Robbie Zabika, because Andrew Redmayne is all the talk today. Uh, Robbie, thanks for joining us on the program. Uh, absolutely, yeah. What a what a night it was. Uh, it was just unbelievable. Uh, who would have thought? Um, you know the situation in the end, and, uh, and and you know the changes of goalkeepers and such big stakes. Um, but uh, in the end, um, they're through and and they're and they're off to the World Cup. 
17 years ago, we saw John Aloisi from a penalty get Australia through to their first World Cup since 1974. That was a huge moment uh, in 2005. And here we are, 2022, again, down to a penalty shootout to get us through to the big dance and the biggest sporting uh, tournament on the planet. Robbie, what about penalty taking? Now, I'd like to sort of get your thoughts from a goalkeeper. How much practice pre-big games like this one goes into the art of goalkeepers saving penalty shots? Oh, look, yeah, there is. There's, there's a lot into it, uh, no doubt about it. Um, you know, in training, I'm sure they would have uh, looked at every aspect when it came down to even down to penalties. And, um, you know, these days, um, Peter, with, with just, um, you know, videos, um, YouTube, there's, there's so much information on each player. Um, you know, you can get down to the really nitty-gritty of, you know, who's going to take him. And unfortunately for the Peruvian, um, Alex Valera, I think it was, um, mm. yeah, it, uh, it came down to him. And, um, you know, I thought he struck it well. Um, but uh, Redmayne gets the right way, and, um, and, and that was it. And it's, uh, it, it really is a shame for Peru. Uh, I, I suppose we've got to mention them because they're, they're, they're footballing mad. And, um, you know, uh, there's 34 million of them in, there, in the country. Uh, so, it's, uh, yeah, it, it will, will really hurt them. Yeah, and there was about twelve to 15,000 in the stadium there. It was a lot of red and white. And they were saying people uh, in Peru were selling some of their belongings to get enough money to get the uh, yeah. flight to, to Doha. And in the end, uh, there was a lot of emotion in those stands. A lot of the Peruvian supporters certainly broke down. Saying that, from an Australian perspective, when you look at goalkeeping, and Matty Ryan is the captain of the Socceroos, and he gets replaced with only a few seconds, a couple of minutes remaining in the match, knowing it's heading towards penalties. Have you been involved in a game like that before when you as a goalkeeper were either substituted as the main man or as a reserve goalkeeper coming in? Uh, well, uh, I suppose, no, I haven't. Um, I think um, in my day, you know, being six foot four, six foot five, I think it was a big advantage for myself uh, being um, in the goals. Um, but, yeah, I, I sort of feel for, for Matty in a way. But those are the decisions that the coach has to make. It, it was a massive decision, I thought, at the time. And, um, you know, in hindsight, he could have really gone the other way and he would have got, um, I suppose, uh, you know, chastised for it, but he didn't. Um, it proved to be a master stroke and, um, you know, full credit to, to Graham Arnold in, in making that decision because it, it really was a huge decision. Matt Ryan is a, you know, is a quality goalkeeper and, um, uh, you know, I, I'm sure he would have been admirable in goals as well. Yeah, it was interesting uh, when they uh, when he was subbed off at Matty Ryan, he did embrace Andrew Redmayne as the captor, as the leader, showing that uh, he had no uh, ill feeling about it all. It was all about the team. And I've seen also on social media Matty Ryan posting just how proud he is as captain of this Socceroos to take him to a World Cup final. And after all, he is the captain and he will be leading the side uh, in November in uh, Qatar. Absolutely, he's a you know he's a, he's a true professional. Um, he knows the situation. I know. Look, as a goalkeeper, deep down, I'm sure he would have been you know hurting a bit. But it is the end result. Um, it is a team thing, not just the players. It, it comes down to everyone, coaching staff. You got to remember too, Peter. I think they they played 14 games away out of the 16 or whatever they had to play 20. 
So, uh, look, it was a massive campaign for them, and, you know, they deserve the credit, all the credit that they, they should get. There was a lot of doubters, uh, Robbie, and rightfully so. It hasn't been the most impressive uh, campaign. We have struggled at times, but in the two games against the UAE and, of course, this morning against the Peru, the Socceroos showed something. Um, did you feel that it was uh, a too steep a mountain to climb for the Socceroos to get to their fifth consecutive World Cup before these two playoff games? I suppose everyone thought that. I think, in, you know, if you really look at the squad, it probably wasn't as strong as, as previous past squads. Um, but, look, it was very difficult, as I mentioned before, um, for Graham to get players over, you know, COVID over two years. It was just a very difficult campaign. And um, uh, I do stress enough that the, the, to play away from home, you know, so many times would have been so hard for them. Um but, yeah, look, it's, it's just one of those things. Um, you know, they adapted. Um, you know, the players really did respond against Peru. I thought UAE, they, they struggled a bit. But, look, they are knockout games. Um, you've got to remember in the past, they probably would have played this home and away. Um, but this, this time it was just a one-off. So a lot of pressure on the game. Um, you know, you don't want to make a mistake. Uh, everything is riding on it. You've got to realise, you know, uh, just how much you know, lucrative it will be for not just for Australia, but for everyone. Yeah, it, it was just such a big, big campaign, big game and, and a great result for us, as I say. Let's go back to goalkeeping. You do play mind games, both goalkeepers, uh, that is the Peruvian goalkeeper and the Aussie goalkeeper, you know, were taking time between shots. They were wandering out into the penalty area. Uh, you do play the mind games as the spot kicker prepares to take, in many ways, a sudden death shot on goal. Uh, there is a lot of mind games with the goalkeepers, isn't there? And I suppose you played with them as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I think we have to just put it in perspective. You know, the goalkeepers, there's nothing to lose for the goalkeepers. Um, I know people say there's a lot of pressure on the players and stuff like that, and there certainly is. Um, and we're human beings, you know. Can you imagine, um, you know, having a spot kick to get to the World Cup? Those goals become so much smaller when you look at it and the goalkeeper becomes a lot bigger. And, um, yeah, you don't really, you know, uh, have a lot of window to try and score. And But you have to be true to yourself, um, and that's why they're professionals. And, um, yeah, look, I would rather be in goals. I know I'm a goalkeeper, but, um, yeah, to take a spot kick like that, um, it really is a lot of pressure on them. And, um, yeah, uh, well, fortunately for us, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was good for us and uh, not good for Peru. Finally, what about uh, Redmayne's tactics? Normally you see a goalkeeper on the goal line stationary in the middle of the goal trying to read which way he's going to go. In the case of Redmayne, I don't think I've ever seen a goalkeeper, there may have been over the years, that is so animated on the goal line, jumping, going right, going left, as if he's trying to put the uh, penalty taker off. Uh, your thoughts on it all? Yeah, look, I thought it was it was a great mind game for for him uh, um, in regards to what he was doing. Um, you know, obviously you can you can walk across the line as long as you don't go over it. I'm sure I'm sure if we did look at it, it probably was over. But that doesn't matter. Um, yeah, look, it, it really was. Uh, it's just to put the player off. You know, a couple of uh, seconds delay or whatever. It just gets into the players' heads. Um, you know, he did it really well. But then again, I thought the Peruvian goalkeeper made a great save too on, on the first first spot kick. So, 
Look, as uh, Redmayne did say, it, it's just you pick left or right, um, get it into you, you get get into their heads, and you hope for the best. And um, and it worked out for him, thankfully. Yep. And finally, Robbie, how do you think they'll go? They've got now a bit of time to reset and no doubt build. They know what's in front of them: France, Denmark, and Tunisia in their group. Uh, I don't think many expect uh, miracles at the World Cup, but you never know. And uh, so, overall, how do you think that the Aussies will go? Yeah, uh, it's a million-dollar question, isn't it, Peter? Um, hopefully, they do really well. Um, you know, uh, having such a tough, tough campaign to get there, the last thing you want is to, you know, really struggle in the World Cup. I'm sure they'll reset. Um, you know, it is now in. Is it December, November? I think November, it is, uh, yeah, it's middle of November. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, um, and um, I'm not really sure how that goes with playing, um, you know, overseas. Are there still um, games happening in England? And yeah, I think, I think the really competitions sure. will go into recess for that period. But they'll certainly uh, start yeah. the Premier League and uh, a lot of our players, of course, yeah. involved in the UK and uh, the European leagues. Yeah, so, so, look, they'll have that under their belts, which would be great. So you just never know, oh, France... Dead my hope, uh, maybe a chance with Tunisia. Well, look, you just don't know um, what the situation will hold. I just hope they just, you know, give a good um, assertion of themselves and, um, and, you know, just be proud of their country and they've made it. And, um, yeah, I hope they do really well. Good on you, Robbie. Thanks for joining us as a former Australian goalkeeper about the mindset when it comes to the art of goalkeeping and, in particular, trying to keep out those penalty uh, kicks. Good on you, mate. Thanks for your time. Good to talk again. Yeah, good to hear from you too, Peter. All the best. The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Toolmark, your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. Welcome back to Drive with Peter Vlahos here on SENWA on this Tuesday. It's been predominantly all about the Socceroos. That's been the... Talking point today after that uh, historical performance uh, against the odds against Peru earlier this morning. But there has been some other news and just quickly bringing you up to date. So you are well and truly covered here on SEN. Rafael Nadal has reportedly started training. He has on grass courts in what looms as a major clue about the Spaniards' prospects of playing at Wimbledon. As we know, there's been doubts about his participation at the All England Club, but it's gathered steam recently after he was pictured on crutches in the wake of a record-extending 22nd men's Grand Slam singles title at the French Open. He was spotted on crutches in Majorca, the 36-year-old, of course, undergoing a procedure to help his foot only two days after his triumph at Roland Garros. But he's been hitting up on the grass, and uh, people are expecting him to maybe... Uh, it does go OK in the next week or so to be there at Wimbledon when play gets underway on June the 27th. Very shortly, the final day's play in the second cricket test between England and New Zealand will get underway. And New Zealand opener Tom Latham, I don't know if you saw it yesterday, produced a contender for the worst leave in test cricket history in the second test at Trent Bridge. Now, Overnight, the Kiwis have built a lead of 238. They've got three second-innings wickets remaining, heading into a real delicately poised final day of that second test in Nottingham. Two runouts, some poor shot selection from the tourists left them at seven for 224 at stumps on day four, giving England a glimmer of hope that they can dismiss the Kiwis 
and clinch the series on day on the final day. It is a three-test series. And if England win the second test, of course, they've taken the series. The other intriguing thing that's got everybody talking has been the golf. And as we know, we've got the establishment, the PGA Tour, and the Greg Norman-led LIV Rebel, if we can term it that way, golf tour. Rory McIlroy, just about 24 hours ago, won the Canadian Open. And he's had a bit of a dig, actually, at the golf war that's currently underway. Yeah, this is a day I'll remember for a long, long time. Uh, 21st PGA Tour win, uh, one more than someone else. Uh, that gave me a little bit of extra incentive today, and I'm um, happy to get it done. Yeah, he was talking about Greg Norman, one more than someone else. That was uh, the great white shark, who's, I reckon, losing a few fans uh, around the planet and also with the fellow golfing professionals. Uh, Charles Schwartzel, by the way, took off uh, the very rich uh, first tournament under the Saudi Arabian-backed LIV, and this is what he had to say after winning. I think I'd be lying if I say I wasn't uh, feeling, you know, anxious. <laughs> you know, there's a, there was a lot at stake, and that would be uh, both ways. A lot of money at stake, and there was also I haven't won in six years. You know, so I was obviously been through injury and then struggle, uh, and I really wanted to win again. Majors is what defines our careers. Um, uh, obviously, I was fortunate to win the green jacket, um, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, where the money comes from is not something that I. Uh, um, as ever, whether I've ever looked at playing in my 20 years career, you know, and I think if I start digging everywhere where we played, um, you could find faults in anything. Yeah, they're always uncomfortable when they come and talk about the money. I've, I've heard it from Charles Swartzel. I've seen it with Phil Mickelson. I've seen it with Dustin Johnson. Every time the money card is played and where it's coming from, they tend to pause they tend to be unsure about what they're going to say next. And you heard it there from Charles Schwartzel. Just before I go, uh, a lot of talk regarding where North Melbourne are at in AFL circles. Last night on uh, Footy Classified, Caroline Wilson, the well-respected journalist, had this to say about their coach, David Noble, and his future. Oh, I think he's in real trouble. I mean, it's just so hard to come back from this. And it's not just losses, but it's big losses. It hasn't, it's not like you're seeing fighting performances. And this is, I keep saying, an under-resourced football club, an understaffed football club. Yeah. I feel like there are a few people in footy who aren't in the right roles. And I just think that in do the you, end... Do you think it's time? I don't, I'm not saying they should sack him this week. but Can you give him I, another eight weeks, ten, nine weeks? Or I very you, much doubt. He, he won't be there next year. Have you seen him? I don't believe. I don't, I, I, I don't believe that David Noble was the right choice. No, I Do don't. Do you think he'll see out the year? I don't know. But I don't think he'll be there and next year. OK, I don't think he'll be there next year. Who will be North Melbourne's new coach? Uh, the mind uh, certainly boggles, doesn't it, who that could possibly be. Anyway, that's been the program. Hope you've enjoyed it. It's the day that, uh, of course, Australia as a nation celebrates a great achievement this morning with the Socceroos getting through to their fifth consecutive World Cup. It will happen in the middle of November through until the 18th of December, a week before Christmas in the Middle East there in uh, Qatar. And we look forward to bringing you coverage of that. 
Thanks to the producers, Jimmy and Bray. This has been Peter Vlahos. I'll be back again tomorrow from five here on Drive. All thanks to Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre. Enjoy your evening. Bye.